Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, and welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast, this is a podcast with the opinion that progressive politics can change the world. I'm your host, Hannah Shah, and I'm joined by my colleague, Stephanie Lloyd, political correspondent for the Daily Mirror, Nicola Bartlett, and political reporter for the Evening Standard, Kate Proctor, to talk about just what is going on. So... Here we are again. I hope we all had restful weekends. So are we ready to take on another week of Brexit madness, Steph? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no. That's a short answer. Of course we are. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I have to say I groaned this morning. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we're doing it all again. So it's a groan from Kate, Nicola? Yeah, why not? I mean, you know, this could be the week we actually leave. Who knows? You've got to keep believing something's going to happen. Otherwise, I think you just give up at this point. <laughs> I spent my weekend doing an escape room on Friday night and doing <laughs> tedious logic puzzles to get out of a room felt more satisfying than talking about Brexit. Is that an analogy, Steph? Is that yes. what you're trying to say? Is yes. this the analogy of the week? Yes. Okay, fantastic. And this is also technically the last week before recess, which Although may this or may was not technically meant to be recess. Is this meant to be recess part one? This is still one? meant to be recess yeah. part one, yeah. Okay, so we're waiting on recess part two. Yes. What do you think the prospects are for us actually having recess part two? Well, it's not looking great in the moment. I think Andrea Leadsom, the leader of the House, said 15th and 16th might already uh, be in question. And then the She's rest got of the a statement week... today, I think. So we'll probably find out about recess doom probably quite soon. It's just business as usual, really, isn't it? Everyone's just turning up to work. I mean, I just think it's just going to go on into next week as well. Might get Easter off. Might get Friday long weekends. <laughs> Might get nice. Good Friday. Yeah. <laughs> we can dream. Have a bank holiday. Yes. And do you think that we're going to get another meaningful vote? What meaningful vote are we on now? Four, four point five. I've sort of lost track. <laughs> I think it's technically three because the the time that it was put to the Commons. Uh, well, they split it in half, ago? didn't they? Yeah, so they... people calling it meaningful vote two point five. <laughs> very techy and boring. People. But I think with that. You might have seen that uh, slightly surreal clip that Theresa May did at Checkers where she spoke directly to camera and there was, uh, the, I mean, the internet has had a field day making memes out of this. I enjoyed the one where it was then just fire everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Including in the glass of water. Yes. Um, but the, the bit in that which seemed to be new, perhaps, is that she basically admitted that the deal's not going to get through. So there's kind of no point bringing it back. So MV4 kind of looks in doubt at the moment, I think. I guess we'll see what happens when she goes to 
to Brussels. Um, yeah. And if there's some change, if there's some significant change, then it will come back then, and that'll be meaningful vote for. But I mean, can you, you see there being any Friday? significant change? You'd have to do it on Friday, wouldn't you? Yeah, which but it, it she just, couldn't. It just seems so unlikely that something would be tabled like that quickly to be. And can there. you see her coming back from Brussels with any actual change? Well, I'd, possibly, I think. I mm. mean, she's going to see Macron and Merkel tomorrow. And I really don't think she'd go and do that if there was absolutely zero points because mm. she speaks them all the time. So yeah. I think they've made it, let it be known there is at least a conversation to be had. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the it was interesting on Friday because Labour were really pessimistic about how these cross-party talks were going and really threw a total dampener on it. And then over the weekend, Rebecca Long-Bailey, uh, Shadow Business, was saying you know, there was a kind of positive mood. And then this morning, there's some suggestion of possibly some movement. There's some talk of the government presenting Labour with a with a kind of option, basically, mm. whether that's this morning or this afternoon or, you know, whatever time. Um, it is all very much kind of day by day now. Though. Yeah. I just say, like, Labour aren't even in talks yet, by the way. We're expecting them mm. to start... Uh, their formal talks again sort of early evening so actually there's nothing going on this morning and you know and this is the week and we're running out of time and nothing was formally scheduled for talks this morning between Labour and the Tories. I see so actually luckily for us we're having a bit of a break Um, I mean speaking of breaks I know we talked about recess part two um, and we see a lot of discussion in the media and we want to just get your views on it about it being a holiday for MPs, you know, MPs jet away, they have a nice time, they're all sat on a beach taking their 70k while the ordinary people sort of slog away. Um, but as people who cover politics and see sort of what's going in, on in Westminster every day, what would you say the general atmosphere is like? Should we give the poor MPs a break? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is really an unpopular viewpoint because I've just been looking on Twitter now um, to the comments that people have made underneath uh, Anna Turley, who is very frank and very honest about how about the impact that this is having on her. Mm. And there's just absolutely no sympathy for MPs whatsoever. Every single thing comes down to, well, if you've got a salary that high, then you can, you know, take it. And I just, I just think I can't believe how cruel actually the the public are to MPs. I mean. Not everyone is working around the clock, but you really do have people that are coming in at seven o'clock, they're leaving at midnight and they're doing that repeatedly. Then on a Friday, they go to their constituency. Then the work continues over the weekend. MPs don't just turn up and vote. They're doing committees. They're doing their own work. Some people are trying to squeeze in like very long organized foreign trips as Mm. well to try and keep their work going. Um, So yeah, I think MPs work really, really hard. And I think, you know, it actually, we all say this, we all need a break. We all need a bit of a mental health break. And I think if you want people to like clearly make decisions and make decisions in with a good mind and a fresh head, then I think, you know, giving people a few days off for a break for recess is much needed. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, we've started to see a lot of the, a lot more of the MPs talking about that element of it over the last week. Um, I forget which Tory MP, but he was saying he's conscious of drinking too much and kind of avoiding people. And, you know, Westminster is great for lots of reasons, but it is not the most conducive place to having good mental health. There are lots of bars here. You can, you know, you can drink too much. You can work too hard. You can keep talking to the same people. It's not you know, it's not it's really a healthy place to yeah. be, isn't it? At the best of times, like you can easily just spend all day in this compound and not leave. And mm. the, you know, the, they try with the food, but you know, you are kind of <laughs> eating like canteen food all the time. You don't always get daylight. And like, I appreciate 
like, you know, we're not working down a coal mine or anything. And I know that people have tough, tough jobs, but I would just say this is also a difficult line of work. Mm. And I think the other thing that's important about recess is it's not, it's not actually holiday time for most MPs. They do go and work in their, consti- you know, it's built in. The reason they have so much holiday is that they can go back to their constituencies, you know, work there, reconnect with people there. Um, they do obviously take some time off to see their family and friends but you know they need that as anybody else does frankly no I think that's right and I think you know as you say we've seen some real kind of kind of anger towards MPs who have kind of you know been really honest and quite brave I think to say look right now we are exhausted and Mm. the sheer level of pressure that they have on them at the moment and you look at it and it's like yeah lots of people have very stressful jobs but Lots of people's stressful jobs don't necessarily impact on the rest of the country's jobs and how that could work. And I think, you know, there's the idea that MPs just come in and swan about and they don't really care. Like, whether you agree with them or not, I don't think there's anyone in this building who's not really in it because they care and Mm. because they think they're doing the right thing. And there's a huge amount of pressure that goes with that. And I think, you know, when this is all totally unprecedented in terms of what people are going through and trying to understand it and how that works and trying to do that and make the right decisions and keep everybody on board and keep going forwards. It's a difficult time. So I think, I do think it is, I think it's significant that MPs like Anatolia have spoken out and I think people need to kind of lay off them a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's worth mentioning that it's not just about the MPs. There are loads and loads of people who work in, yeah. in the past of Westminster. Like you guys. <laughs> like you guys, like the researchers. MP staff, yeah. 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 The catering staff, I saw um, the other day that the catering staff have an excellent sense of humour. There's a new pudding out, I think, which is Eaton Mess, which was (laughs) new a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) So clearly they're putting a brave face on it. But actually there are lots of people working here who aren't on 70k and expenses who have to basically pick up the slack and work really long hours. And it's impacting them on their mental health too. Mm. And MPs rely on them to be super efficient and to do their jobs properly. So on that note, do you think that the situation is likely to calm down anytime soon? Are we likely to continue sort of this week at the same pace as we have done? I think it's going to be a very busy week. Yeah. Um, I think this is very intense. I mean, when you have this build up to the supposed cliff edge, which we've got on Friday, which is where we could leave without mm. a deal or a deal or some kind of um, extension, um, lots and lots of things go on in this week. So you've got the Cooper um, Amendment, uh, you've got this trip to Brussels. And I know that Theresa May, it's possible Theresa May won't even be um, finished up in Brussels till three or four in the morning. So, you know, for a political journalist that do have to work around the clock, that is going to be, you know, a really difficult time towards the end of the week. Um, but I work for the Evening Standard, so that means that I start at 7am. And so um, I don't always have to work really, really late, but we do work really, really early in the morning. So my world is completely different to everyone else's. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, it it just kind of varies from week to week. I've sort of stopped making any kind of social plans and just, I mean, it's quite a good excuse to, you don't (laughs) actually want to see people. You just say, oh, you know, Brexit, it's taking over everything. Um, But you don't, you know, we finished at 11, 12. I think we were out of here at one at one point. I mean, I may have had a drink in in the bar at that stage, but uh, you're then expected, to, you know, to come back in fairly early the next day. I mean, my, I think I'm very lucky in that I work in a really nice team, and I think we've definitely been quite conscious of this over the last few weeks. So, if someone's doesn't need to be there, we all sort of say, "Well, you you have been here quite a long time. Do you want to go?" And we try and share it round as much as we can. 
so that you're not there when you when you don't need to be because we know that there are days when it's all hands on deck and it's really busy and it's weird because you know the adrenaline keeps you going when you're doing those days but then you come in the next day and you just you know you've got nothing they've got nothing left basically and then it all picks up again so it's a weird cycle at the moment yeah, I think all I sort of dream about is, you know, green fields and hills and, <laughs> and fresh air and not being here. <laughs> um, on that note, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to talk about what you think of media coverage of Brexit. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Okay, fantastic. So we've discussed what the atmosphere is like in Parliament, but to sort of think a little bit more deeply about the media in general, what role, obviously both the journalists, what role do you think the media has in sort of pushing forward the Brexit situation? We've seen both Labour and the Tories who've sort of been having quite a few um, intense spats in the press and playing out in the press. Um, Do you think it's made the situation worse? It's really difficult to know what the the relationship has been because it, it the kind of this whole situation is is really in, ingrained in the media coverage and I think it has been since the run-up to the referendum and it became quite polarised quite quickly. The idea that there was, you know, differing views on different sides, it has seemed like the people that shout the loudest get the most coverage. And actually, I think it's only in the most recent few weeks when, you know, Parliament's seized control as it were that you started to get more of a sense that there are varying shades of of remain or or leave there are different options that people want and I think probably I would say that I don't think the media was that good at conveying that previously I think it was 
all focused on on the extremes essentially yeah I mean you've got the European research group and their language because you have people like Jacob Rees-Mogg who are you know orators and they use language in a very colorful way and it's in a headline grabbing way Mm. but you do also have some members of that group who have used um language at some points which has been quite aggressive and then you'll have anonymous briefings which is beyond aggressive and just quite violent Mm. um so that whole area that whole group within parliament i think have, have had um a huge amount of influence on the media and um, I think I'd agree with Nicola. I think that uh, that is actually diminishing. I think their currency is is slightly um, diminishing. I think they're, you know, it's getting a bit tired because you do, when you, as a journalist, you have your people that you go to a lot to get your quotes from. And I think I can see it in some of the national press that there is a little move away for, for some of those voices to try and just quieten that down a little bit and not, and not go back to the same old people. And we probably know who we're talking about. It's <laughs> like, oh, we're doing this story. We need this kind of voice. Absolute last case scenario. We're going to ring this MP <laughs> because you just know they'll give you that quote and it's going to be outrageous and it might make good copy for five minutes, but it's not really the overall narrative of what's happening with Brexit. And I think papers are doing um, yeah, much better since Christmas in seeing more of a nuanced kind of argument being put forwards. Yeah, and I would say just kind of in our defence, as it were, to to go to the IG so much is that they were in the position of power. Those were the people that Theresa May was was trying to appeal to and they were the ones that she was trying to get the votes from. So it was in connection with the political situation. That then started to shift once, you know, Parliament had sort of and taken the reins back. And they lost the leadership yeah. challenge against her. So they they marched everyone up point. to this hill and said, you know, we've, we've got the support and they didn't. And yeah, I think that was the point at which that kind of started to, to fade, as it were. Who do you guys think have been the kind of really standout performers, politician-wise, when it's come to the Brexit debate? Like, who are the people... What, obviously, you say there's the people you go to who you no. know you'll just get the incendiary <laughs> quotes from. But who do, you think, who do you think has really kind of risen above some of the others I'd, in terms of that? I'd pick two people. I'd say Anna Subri for just knowing her mind and being mm. completely, um, you know... Uh, how can I how can I say it she's um she's so strong she knows exactly what she thinks she's completely uncompromising and um that's really quite amazing there actually aren't that many people like her and people would say that you know oh we hear from her all the time and she can be a little bit um you know with her with her lines and her comments and you know she'll be she's reliable because you always know kind of what she's going to say but the courage I think she's taken to go against a party and leave her party I think is quite something and then the other person is Yvette Cooper who's kind of um technical ability to make parliament do what she wants is really quite staggering like her and Dominic Grieve actually between them have brains for parliamentary procedure which is very impressive yeah I think there's a there's a real newfound respect for people who actually understand the rules you Mm. know a lot of Brexit's been um kind of spearheaded by these people like Boris Johnson who kind of come in all guns blazing and and actually those, you know, people like Yvette Cooper have really shown if you look at the detail, no, actually, we've got a rule here, which means you can't just do, you know, mm. what what you want. I mean, I think 
Someone I would say is Joanna Cherry for the SNP, because I think she's, I mean, it's another lawyer, actually, um, like Dominic Grieve, who's got this kind of, and Anna Subri as well, got this ability to kind of just technically hone in on things and point them out. And the other person would be Hilary Benn, who mm. I just think um, is this kind of calm figure in the in the maelstrom of, of the debates. You know, he's chair of the Brexit Select Committee, and has this amazing memory about what's been said and how things have slightly shifted. You know, if you see him go up against Dominic Raab and you just, you know, you see Raab's arguments just crumble away. It's amazing. He's the kind of person that's like, and with the greatest of respect. Yeah. And, He's uh, incredibly polite. I might be wrong here, but, and then just gives some like killer explanation as to what's going wrong. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And it's all, I think, I think the people we've picked out as well are people who are doing this in a very civil way. Yes. They're not people who resort to name calling. And actually it's, it's almost more devastating when they completely dismantle someone's argument because, you know, they're doing it from in a very respectful fashion. Mm. Um, I think as a little bit of a newbie, please forgive me for this, but I guess you call up MPs and you ask them for comments all the time and you've listed a few MPs who've been very vocal, but actually how is it that you get your news? Do you get like, we always sort of imagine that you get screenshots from like the curry club WhatsApp group <laughs> or like, you know. WhatsApp is a massive part of the life of <laughs> yeah. a school journalist. It is, yeah. I'm glad that thing's end, uh, end encrypted, I have to say. Um, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it's a this variety of, of things. I mean, we've got regular briefings with the PM's uh, spokespeople. Um, they happen mainly twice a day. It depends on the day. And then you have the different groups that do briefings as well. So the ERG have always been very, very good at holding um, briefings to talk to journalists. There's also there's a briefing tomorrow, which is with a group of MPs. Uh, Marc Francois, I think, is, is going to be there. Is that the Bruges that's group? That's the Bruges group. And that's all about leaving with no deal and why that would be a good idea. It's, so they, well, they, is... they, you know, interact with journalists in, mm. a, in a way. Actually, you get more access, I'd say, than perhaps a general election. People are so yeah, keen true. to talk about you know, their ideas and how they see the future going, that you actually have a lot of access. Well, the thing that I think is interesting, because obviously so much of this, as we say, is new. So there are procedures of which have never really been used, haven't been used for decades mm. or in sometimes centuries. Um, and, you know, it must be difficult for you guys to keep up because so much of this has come down over the last couple of months, the nuance of parliamentary <laughs> procedure and how that works. I mean, how is it difficult to keep up on some of those things in terms of how that is? Because obviously, yeah. you know, for people like me, I just put all of you lot on tweet notifications and see what you're saying <laughs> and try and figure it out that way. But it's not, you know, it is tricky. It must be tricky to try and keep up with some of those things. I think it's really, really hard. I mean, you can literally go for lunch and so much has changed. Mm. And parliamentary procedure, yeah, we are learning about this. I mean, I've only been here three years, but we are seeing things happening in Parliament, from at least my point of view, that I've never seen before. And um, the deferral votes, you know, where they don't vote through the lobbies and they yeah. vote on the sheets of paper instead. So that was a new process for me. I hadn't seen that before. There are some journalists, though, that love it, that absolutely love this procedure <laughs> and they, they really geek out about it. So I have a few journalists that I go to yeah. because they will just know, particularly people that work for the Press Association who are mm. in and and um following parliament very closely over the last few years you know they they know procedure inside out and they're like well hang on when is that statutory instrument going to be laid and they kind of you know they get a bit fretty and frantic wondering when these things are going to happen but for me this I, I just don't I, I don't have the same interest in it I no. guess and I would 
have a massive shout out to Esther Weber, who works the Times. Mm. She is brilliant. Is amazing. Who manages <laughs> she even to knows explain. about the House of Lords. That yeah. girl's amazing. Well, yeah, when we suddenly all had to watch the House of Lords, which you know, to be fair, is it's not an experience. Yeah, it's it not something great. we do every day. To be honest with you, <laughs> yeah, I think as well the House of Commons clerks mm. have been really helpful. They've held briefings where they've explained a lot of this stuff to us, and that's something that they've proactively done. Mm. Um, and I think. You know, there's obviously lots of partisan points going and all the rest of it. But, you know, the government, to be fair, have tried to explain things and, ha you know, all the groups try and, and try and explain things to us as well. Well, it's for the good of our democracy, really, that you guys have the ability and the access to this kind of information to be able to really get to the crux of what some of this means and translate yeah. it for the rest of us, I suppose. I think papers have been a bit slow on the uptake, but now we are seeing, um, I think the iPaper's done a good job at this and, the, and um, the Times as well. I think they'll do this week in Brexit, this yeah. is what's happening on Monday, yeah. this is what's happening on Tuesday, and they just spell it out really simply. And if you've only got a few minutes to look at a page, that's really all you need to know. Mm. And I think that that informative kind of writing, I mean, literally public service writing <laughs> <Yeah>. about <laughs> this is what is happening, there's no spin on it, there's nothing yeah. at all, it's just this is the facts, this is what MPs are voting on on Wednesday, and this is what it means. It's it's also that I realised recently we've seen the return of the flowchart, which I don't actually <laughs> think that I've seen one of those since I used to buy, like, Girl Talk magazine when I was 13, <laughs> like, which Spice Girl are you meant to be? Um, and we sort of have Brexit versions of that, and, you know, that's really, really, really helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we should do more flowcharts. Yeah, Please. definitely, I yeah. think. Henry Zeffman for the Times did the the one that everyone sort of copied. It was yeah. it was something that everyone I think had been thinking we really need to do this and didn't quite have the uh, headspace to sit down and and get it all out. But the problem is as well is that I've done a few of those explainers for our paper and you mm. think okay I'll just start writing it and it will be incorrect in about two hours time mm. and you've got to literally you know file a last version. We we filed a lot of stuff on deadline actually more than we would really? normally. And we've been helped out a few times by the football, so the deadline's been slightly later. <laughs> but I think it's hard, you know, I, I work for a tabloid paper. They're not the longest stories in the world. People want to know the most important thing. So while we might find this process stuff interesting, it's not always going to make it into the copy of the Daily Mirror. And it is literally a translation job a lot of the time, what this actually means, um, as you say, day to day. So the thing that I found quite fun, because obviously, you know, the world's best, I probably shouldn't even say it, but it is, I mean, other than obviously our podcast, but yeah. Brexit cast has blown mm, up over great. in terms of how it works. But the thing that I thought was quite funny was when they were talking to Anna Turley and they were, you know, it was who is in control now and it was WhatsApp. And obviously you guys were just saying then that, <laughs> you know, it's where you get so much of your stuff from. So what is, this is just my own interest. What What is the best kind of WhatsApp gaffe? that you have seen happen during this kind of Brexit process of what people have heard. Oh, this is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I think just, you know, I think sometimes you obviously WhatsApp into the wrong group and um, sometimes um, someone writes something and then quickly deletes it. Um, a couple of times people have literally said, you know, I'm going to be home late. Can you make sure my tea's on? Can you put make sure that the, the, the school uniform's put out on the radiator? And that might have gone into a group, you know, with hundreds and hundreds of people in. Um, in terms of like, that's kind of like among journalists. I don't think I've seen like a political No, we, we did have someone 
think it was intended for their children, but they said, I'll be home soon, love daddy. And then immediately realised what they'd done and followed it with an expletive term. And of course, everyone on that group had tremendous fun responding. And because all the journalists are in the same corridor, you could just hear laughter going down. <laughs> As and everybody it, picks up their phone. Yeah. And it was like, you know, this, this bubble of stress had been burst. You know, mm. it was really cathartic. And you realise kind of how much everyone's on edge. And you just need these moments moments of just I mean that was just pure silliness really um it is quite reassuring when you see like a very high profile journalist <laughs> like someone who's you know maybe on the tv all the time suddenly just saying you know I'm going to be late yeah. you know um, I'm going to be late or can you put my tea on or can you make sure that the clothes are washed it's quite nice to know everyone actually has has to balance all these you know very normal it's very humanizing yeah yeah definitely it, it, this feels like this whole process I talked to my friends about it it feels like really removed from their daily lives. Like, so I did this thing and I spoke to these people and they're like, what? That's the thing that you did. That's the thing that's happened. And it's nice just to be like, yes, these people cook and clean. and Yeah, they cook and they clean and they take their children to school. And uh, then they have, to, and also I just think it's really funny, like someone's on the TV and then they've actually had to let their family know I'm going to be home late. I'm like, I'd imagine that's a given. Just turn on the telly. <laughs> that's, that's quite obvious. If you're on the Telecom News, you yeah, probably yeah. won't be home <laughs> Fantastic. So I guess the last thing is, and this is what one of my colleagues wanted to know, because I think he's suffering a lot from Brexit stress, is do either of you have, shall we call it Brex stress? Is that a new stress? Yeah. yeah. Shall we use that? Brex stress? We've had Brex tension. Why not? Brex stress. (laughs) Um, Do either of you have a personal tip to staying sane in the Brexit chaos? Or both of you? Well, go for a walk around St. James's Park. Uh, oh, it is lovely. Go on your own or just get anyone to come with you just for a little stroll out. That's really important. You have to have some daylight, especially in the winter because I work for the standard. So mm. actually getting daylight is um, actually really important for your health. Um, yeah, I mean, I go to Greg's loads. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that is quite an important part of my life. So um, anything, a nice cake from Greg's is quite important. Favourite really. item from Greg's? Oh, um, I really like pink jammies yeah, and um, yum yums. Um, and I mean, the list goes on, I'll eat anything from Greg's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... Um, I think as much as I hate myself saying it, but exercise is is really important. Um, Steph and I both play in the women's lobby. What is it? No, women's parliamentary football, football team. team. We do. We do. Um, I've not seen Nicola for a while. And I think we've all found that quite um quite helpful it is it's really good fun and it's one of those situations where kind of no matter what side of the debate you're on or how you cover it or how you interact with all of this stuff it is a really nice way that kind of just a group of people just get together and just you know exercise and and enjoy just doing something that isn't this yeah um, at times we've had a few jokes about are you playing on the left today but I think that's that's as much as politics yeah kind of comes into it because yeah it's kind of an hour difference of you know, not not doing that. I mean, I think, you know, most, I hate to say it, most people around here are really nice. Mm. And um, the staff who work here, I think, are amazing. And it always cheers me up to go buy a cup of tea and have a chat with them. Um, but even if you're meeting politicians, most people, I hate oh, to say yeah. it, are very friendly. Very nice. and Yeah. yeah. Um, so They're I very think, frank and open as well about, yeah. you know, we've been talking a lot about the stress and stuff. But yeah, you will sit down for a cup of tea and they will just 
oh, kind of let it all out and just say, bloody hell, you know, what's going on? Do you know what's going on? And we'll have that conversation for five minutes and then, you know, we'll get on to other political stuff that they're doing. And I think, you know, that's the, you've got to talk to, obviously, spend time with people who are not in this environment. But the nice thing about everyone here is they kind of get it as well. So, you know, there is a lot of understanding, I think, around the place that that these are unusual times, as mm. it were. And how, so what we've got, I'm going to ask one more, one more final throw in of this. Go on. Do you think we'll leave the EU at the end of the week? <laughs> <laughs> Do you ask this question every week? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Will we be here next week? Will we be here for, I know, like Brexit and Furious? I think episode we are seven. not leaving the EU at the end of this week. <laughs> I can't say I'm sad about that. But, um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, that is the legal default. Yeah. You know, midnight on Friday. So I think we've all been okay, discussing. So if we don't leave the EU, will we have a united cabinet by the end of the week? <laughs> they're not even. They're, well, not they're, not united united they're not having one tomorrow. No, Are they're they not. Because no. she's going to. Well, she could have squeezed see. one in. Could have been a breakfast meeting. Well, uh, yeah, I thought I thought that. I thought that was a bit harsh. But maybe because they spent so long with each other last week. They she's can't like, bear no, to see each other again. They need That'll some cool-off time. Yeah, I think they need exactly. some time for self-care. Maybe they'll <laughs> take some of your tips. Okay, fantastic. Thanks, Nicola. Thanks, Kate. Um, as always, subscribe, rate, review. And we'll see you on Friday. been listening to the progressive britain podcast the music was one in the west by blue dot sessions licensed under creative commons and many thanks for our fantastic and long-suffering producer caroline crampton It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.